0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We have been in Philippians chapter 2 now for several weeks, and I'm sure that you are accustomed to many of the verses that we have just read, and, and they're, I'm sure, familiar with you, and and you know them well. But I wanna quote just one of the verses that we did not read this morning that has been the theme over the last several weeks and truly is the theme of the book of Philippians. Now, if you were in the services this morning, and I was about to do this in the congregation, I would do something like this. Pay attention, wake up, stay with me now, listen to what I'm about to say, because it's really important to grasp what I'm about to read from Scripture because it it will set the stage for all that we're talking about this morning and hopefully help us to wrap our minds around what Christ is calling each of his children to do. So, lean in, all right? Lean in and now listen. Listen to Paul's command to the church from Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, we say that, and we hear that, and we've heard that over and over again. But I'm not sure that we perceive the magnitude of what was just said by Paul to God's people. After he makes that statement, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, he then gives us that sweet hymn of Christ, verses 6 through 11, and talks about his glory and his exaltation, but in the middle of that is the humiliation of Jesus Christ. A reminder for all of us, as we think about the mind of Christ, that we have a God who is not self-absorbed, the God of creation, is a God of humility, that this is the God who left the glory of heaven to tabernacle, to tent among us. And not only in his coming was he humble, but in his living. The mind of Christ in his living never ever thought of himself. You know that when he went up into the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days without food. And then when he was tempted to make bread for himself, which he was more than capable of doing, he refused. And yet, when 5,000 men plus women and children and 4,000 men plus women and children had a need and were hungry and weary and were fainting, and looked like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus Christ then takes care of their need and gives them bread. We have the story of him making his way on purpose through Samaria, which was not common for a Jew to do. They would bypass it. But the Bible says that he must needs go through, and he stops at a well, and he is weary, he is tired, he is fatigued, he is thirsty. And yet... Here comes this Samaritan woman. And the need was not his need. It was to reach a broken woman with the glorious truth of who he was and the hope of living water that she could receive. And even the last night before his death, when just days prior he had talked with his disciples, telling them that the greatest in my kingdom is is the servant And we are to serve, when James and John were talking about, if we could have the best seat. And Jesus said, fellas, you don't get it. And so, days afterward, they go into a large upper room, and they're going to enjoy the Passover, and they're sitting around the table, and there is no servant there to wash the feet. No one thinks of it. And Christ girds himself with a towel, and washes the feet and the filth. Of his disciples. Not thinking about someone serving him. But serving others. When it came to his treatment as well. The Bible tells us there was no guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled he reviled not again. When he suffered he threatened not. He committed his whole life humbly to that of the father. And then. When he was betrayed. He was Slapped in the face. He was punched. He had a rod that was taken and beaten in the head with. He was spit upon. He was undressed and naked. He was scourged until his back back looked like a farmer's field. He was pierced on the cross. And in the light of all of this, The humble Christ cries out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is the mind of Christ. And so, when Paul says to the believer, to you and to me, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, I don't know that we understand what we have been called into That God's plan for you and for me and for his church is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That the mind that Christ had, that never thought of himself, is the mind that God is calling you and he's calling me to have. The mind of Christ. It literally means that you and I as believers are to die to self, daily dying to self. Now, let's be honest this morning, because I'm going to be honest, I can't do this. And I'm I'm not talking about someone spitting in my face and saying, Father, forgive them. I'm talking about someone sitting in my seat, in the auditorium, or around the dinner table, Or someone cutting in line in front of me. Or someone in the slow lane. Or someone who's aggravating me. I I can't do this. And I've got to be honest. When I hear these things from Paul and from Scripture about, about this is our Christ. And this is his mind. And you're to do those things. For me, and I'm sure for you if you're honest this morning, as we evaluate our own lives and our own thinking, we are so much... Unlike our Savior. And that's a shame. It's a shame. But there is good news in this. If if for you this morning and for me as we see the mind of Christ and we become convicted that we are so much unlike our Savior, much of our sanctification will consist of how we realize how much we are not like him. Because it is in that that the Spirit convicts us and moves us and drives us and says, listen, this is what God wants for you. This is where you are. We have work to do. And it does seem impossible. But may I remind you that with our God, nothing is impossible because he has given us the supernatural resources that we need to literally have the mind of Christ. Look at verse number 13 of our text this morning. Again, Paul was reminding them of this very truth. He tells them to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. And then in verse 13 he says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When when Paul commands us to have the mind of Christ, he does it knowing full well that it is God who gives us the supernatural resources to do just that. It is God who gives us the will. This is the amazing thing about our God. Our God has given everything. Do you understand that? He gave the Son for you and for me. And when the Son died and accomplished salvation and was risen and ascended, he then gave the Spirit for you and me. And our God gives everything. He gives us the resources that we need to will, the desire to live this life, to look like Christ, to act like Christ, to respond like Christ, to have the mind of Christ. We may not be there, but you know as a believer there is something stirring in your heart that says, Lord, I'm not there, but I long to be there. That's God. And he is working, and he is moving, and he is stirring to give us that desire. And not only that, he then empowers us. He gives us the power to will and to do. We don't have the strength to do this. We don't have the mind of Christ. But by his strength and his power, we can. And Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. He talks about according to his divine power that he has given believers, men and women, all of us, all that we need for life and godliness, and that in Christ we are partakers of this new nature. It, it is actually amazing that God then imparts to us, through the Spirit, this divine nature. And then Paul, once again, in the great text of Galatians 2.20, hammers this home. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. You see, my life is always a life self-consumed, in self interest, self conceit, not thinking of anyone but myself. But Paul says that self is crucified. I am crucified with Christ, and that's dead. Nevertheless, I am living, but the life I now live, I live in Christ. It's in Christ. Christ is living. Through us, And those are the supernatural resources that God has given us. And so, believer, take heart. This morning, if you feel the weight of those words, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Understand, even as we think, Lord, I can't do that, it's true that we can't. But through his supernatural resources, we can say no to the flesh, we can die daily, and have the mind of Christ. So, We have those resources, but there is something else. God not only gives us those supernatural resources, but in his kindness and grace, he gives us and sets before us examples. You and I realize, I think, that we learn almost everything by imitation, right? When those babies are born, we we say those words, say, mama, mama. And we look stupid when we go, mama, right? Or how they eat, you take a spoon, ah, right? Say dada, um, say the real important one, granddad, right? You want them to get those words, and they start to try to mouth those things and imitate. That's how they grow. And we do that throughout their whole life, you know? What does a dog say? What does a cat say? Meow. What does a fish say? No one knows, and no one really cares, right? But, but we do that, and we learn by imitation. It is life. I've had the privilege of raising four boys, and, and as we were raising them, I, I really tried to find something that they enjoyed and I could connect with them with, and we did that together. For my oldest, Anthony, um, he, he loved the weights, so at 12, or or 13 years old, we started to lift weights together, and we had a lot of fun. And then Gregory was different. Gregory was a a sports guy, and and he loved to play sports. And so we spent most of our time playing sports, playing catch. We did that. Andy then came along a little bit later, and and Andy just wanted me to throw him around like a rag doll and wrestle all the time. But Andy was a sports guy, too, and he could talk ad nauseum about the Bengals and football, and we enjoyed that. And then David, the baby, came along, and, and our thing wasn't exercising or sports, it was food. And so we sort of just encouraged one another to eat, but, but that didn't go well. Um, after a while, he had to change his likes to exercising, too, because his mother was getting on me about both of our um, weight problems. And so, so we did that. So last year, I had the opportunity to be with both AJ and David, And we were in A.J.'s garage, and and the boys wanted to lift some weight, And so they had their bench there, and and both of them laid down on the bench. They took the bar, and they took a deep breath, and then they took the bar, and if you know a, a bench, they rolled the bar forward, and they slammed it against the stop before they lifted. Both of those boys did that. And it made me laugh because that's how I did it when they were kids, and they do the same thing now. We learn By imitation. It's the same way with our spiritual life. We have been placed in a family, and God by his grace has set examples before us, that walk before us, that we too can learn by imitation. By imitation. We're part of this family. And Paul understands this. He really does. In the book of Corinthians, he's talking to a church that is dysfunctional. I mean really dysfunctional. If if you were in Corinth, you would not want to go to the first Baptist church of Corinth. It was was not good. They were immature and they were worldly. And here's what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 4.16. He says, wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me, They were struggling, they were immature, they were worldly, they were dysfunctional. Paul sees it and he says, listen, follow me. And then he he qualifies it in chapter 11, verse 1, and he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He, He wasn't just saying, hey, you guys are messed up, look at my life and follow me. He was saying, you're not getting this, I am striving to follow Christ and to be an example to you, so as you watch my life and how I interact, you follow me. He says the same to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6. He says, "And you have become followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost." So, not only is Paul being an example, but he says of us, meaning that as the church grows, this idea of examples should grow as well. And in this short letter of Philippians, he once again hammers home the point that he is going to be an example to the believer. Look at first, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the first chapter, verse number twenty-nine. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Paul says, "For on you it has been given on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which which you saw in me and now here to be in me." Paul said, "You are going to suffer." But you know, you've watched me suffer in Philippi when I was beaten and thrown in prison, and now you know I'm suffering as well. I have been an example before you on how to have a theology of suffering. He goes on in chapter 3, verse 15, where he talks just prior to this about pressing toward the mark. Paul says, I'm pressing toward. I forget those things behind me. This is my goal. So he says, "Let us therefore, as many as be perfect or complete, be thus minded, like I am, pressing toward that mark. And if anything in be, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, hereunto we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same things, brethren. Be followers together of me, and mark them also which walk, so as you have us as an example." And Paul says, follow me, watch me, and mark the people who are living out this faith, this mind of Christ, and follow them as well. And then he caps it off in uh, chapter 4, verse number 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Do you understand? Paul not only says to these believers... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But he says, watch my life and the things that you've heard and learned and seen. And do those things. Follow that. Follow my lead. And again, watch what he's saying here. It is not for his own glory, his own praise, to gather a following for himself. But he says, when you do these things, the God of peace shall be with you. Even in being an example, it is never about yourself. It's about the others and, and their well-being and, and their spiritual growth. Paul knew that and understood it. There was a poem that I I'd heard for years when I was in Michigan. A friend of mine just on the internet a while back posted it as well. But it's called The Bridge Builder. And, and I think it does sort of uh, encapsulate this idea of being an example, not for our own purposes, but for that of others. It says... An old man going a lone highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. That sullen stream had no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you are wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at even tide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said. There followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been as naught to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. My friend, I am building the bridge for him. And that's the truth. Paul says, this idea of an example is important. and It's not just about me. I am setting the path and blazing the trail for those who come behind me. So Paul understands the idea of an example. Not only that, Paul exemplifies this. When Paul says... Have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He doesn't just throw it out there like, this is for you, you do this. Paul exemplifies exactly what he's commanded them to do. In verse 17 he says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you. Paul says, if my life is given, like pouring out an offering, If that's what God has for me, I will do that gladly. In essence, what he's saying is, if your faith um, is improved, and your faith is more important than my life, I will gladly be spent for you. My friend, do you understand that this is the mind of Christ, and this is normative behavior for the believer. We are called to spend our lives and to pour them out, not thinking about ourselves, our own ambitions, our own goals. It is always for Christ and for others in this time of pandemic. It's been interesting to me to note how the church handled pandemics of the past. And in the early 2nd, 3rd century, uh, there were plagues that happened. And it was the believers who were not fearful and cowering and pushing people away, but sacrificing their own lives for the good of others. Even Luther, in the 1500s, when the plague came to Wittenberg, did not leave the city. But he stayed and was willing to give his life for the well-being of others. Believer this morning, do we have the mind of Christ that says to our spouse, our children, other believers, your faith is so important That if it causes me, my comfort, my dreams, my plans, my goals, I am willing to have the mind of Christ to sacrifice for you. The sad truth is, for many of us, this is not the case. Paul sacrifices his own life for them, is willing to do it. And not only that, he sends Timothy and Epaphroditus. If you recall, in the beginning of this book, Paul is most likely in Rome, and he's in prison, and there are people in that church who are now preaching Christ, not to exalt Christ, but out of envy and rivalry. They're sticking it to Paul. They want to elevate themselves. And not everyone in, in this church was bad, certainly not. There, there were good people, but it was all, not all sunshine and roses, But Paul had companions who brought him comfort, uh, who he trusted, who he loved, who encouraged him. It was Timothy. It was Epaphroditus. And here's what he says. Hey, listen, I'm concerned about you. Therefore, I am sending Timothy. I'm going to send Epaphroditus. I am willing to be alone for your well-being. He had the mind of Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He continues to give us flesh and blood examples through the life of Timothy and Epaphroditus. In verse number 20, Paul says, of Timothy now, who he will send to them. And and, and listen, if you're wondering, okay, have the mind of Christ, that's really out there, I get it, yeah, that's great, I have no idea, but I... No, Paul is going to show you now what having this mind that is in Christ of dying to self of seeking humility, of thinking others better than yourself, of seeking their own, of their interests and not your own. He's going to now show you specifically what this looks like. So you don't have to guess. He says of Timothy in verse 20, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus, but you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he has served me, In the gospel, he says, I have no man like-minded like Timothy. So Paul has just said, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for your well-being. He said, Timothy's the same way. Timothy has watched my life. Timothy has served with me. Timothy thought of the interest of others before himself. Not only that, he says he will naturally care for your state. Uh, Do we naturally care for the state of believers in the church? I, I think as you read this letter, you see Paul's emotions tied to the heart of the church. Make no mistake. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus—they loved the church. Why? Because Christ purchased the church. Because they were living souls. Because their souls were knit together. And it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't. The Sunday morning where, yeah, I slip into the door, I give a cute little smile to people, I sit down, the service is done, and then I'm out. This is not the church that they're talking about. That's not real church. A matter of fact, Hughes says this. He says, The detached, benign smile, speaking about coming in, smiling, and then leaving, is not divine. It is the face of false religion. Paul and Timothy naturally cared for the state of the church. They literally loved the believers that they were doing life with. He goes on and says that he was concerned, Timothy, for the things of Christ. Which means that as Timothy looked at the body of believers, he was concerned with what Christ was concerned with, which was their well-being. Jesus Christ died, shed his blood for the church And his design and desire for that church is to make his bride beautiful. And that was the mind that Timothy had. That was the mind of Christ, dying to self. Not about his pleasure, his comfort, his plans, his success, his reputation. It was about, about none of that. He lived for others. Do you understand? That is the mind of Christ. That is dying to self. I was reading over this text and just trying to think through Timothy's attitude toward the church about naturally caring for the state of them and and having this mind of Christ. And and you know, the person that I thought of that would would really um, exemplify this is a mother. God bless our mothers who are willing to have another human being live in their body and kick, and stretch, and cause all kinds of issues, and then go through that process, that child sucks the life out of that woman from before birth, after birth, and most of them, for the rest of their lives. And a mother naturally cares for their state. Why? Listen to me. Mothers shame most of us because they don't think of themselves. And it truly is. The closest thing to the mind of Christ. And that's what Timothy did. He says in verse 22, you know the proof of him that he labored. He, he labored. The, the mind of Christ, is, it, it, it has feet to it. And he labored with others for the common goal. There's an interesting phrase that says, as a son with the father, verse 22. And it's not as the son served the father, Paul and Timothy served together. Uh, there was n- no tribalism. Uh, they didn't care about credit or a name or a reputation or a resume. There was one goal. It was the gospel. It was building the church. And so they labored together. This is the mind of Christ. And Paul had it. Timothy had it. And then he talks about Epaphroditus. Uh, the thing I love about Epaphroditus is this. He was a layman. He wasn't on the preaching circuit. He wasn't, no one was asking him to sign their Bibles or their scroll. He was a guy sitting in the church that we would know nothing about if Paul had not mentioned him. And he was given just one easy job. Take this bag of money, take it to Paul, and serve him. And he does. And and this man's life is such a testimony of the mind of Christ that Paul tells us about him. In verse 25, he says, My brother, my companion in labor, my fellow soldier. Do do you hear the powerful, honorable titles from the Apostle Paul given to this layman? I I mean, a fellow laborer, we work together, a fellow soldier, shoulder to shoulder, we are fighting this battle, and of all those phrases, the one that I thought just stuck out in my mind in light of everything around us, was he calls him brother. Do you know the ancient world was sharply divided? It was not just Jew and Gentile. It was Roman and Greek, slave and free, the different trade guilds that they had. There was, it was polarizing. Polarizing. Much like today. Much like today. With discrimination. Discrimination and racism, and injustice. And Paul says, this is my brother. I think that that is the beauty of Christianity, that as believers, we all know we're in the same boat, regardless of the color of your skin, the titles behind your name, your social, your economic, your educational background. We're all sinners in need of a savior, and we come to Christ and we're adopted into one, Family, my friend. The only answer to racial unrest is Jesus Christ, because He is the one that's created all of humanity. He gives us all dignity, being created in His image. And there's coming a day when every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will gather together around His throne, and sing His praises. And Paul says about this layman, um, he is my brother. He's my brother. And then he says, your messenger, verse 25b and the one who ministered to my needs. The mind of Christ is always serving others. And Epaphroditus does this. In verses 26 through 30, we've read that, but he's given this task to take a trip to Rome. From Philippi to Rome is 800 miles. And, in, and that trip in those days would take approximately six weeks. And during this trip, Epaphroditus gets sick. I mean really sick. Nigh unto death. And so he's there, he's sick, and he's sick so long. Scholars think for three months, this man is sick, can't move, can't go anywhere. That word gets back to the Philippians, and they they hear about him, and now they're worried and concerned. And here's what his concern is as a sick man, verse 26, that he worried for the Philippians being worried for him. Do you understand that? They were were sad and they were worried and now he's getting sick thinking about them being sick for him. It was never about himself. He was selfless. a matter of fact, that phrase, he was sick unto death, in verse 30, is the same phrase in 2A where it says, Christ became obedient unto death. Self-sacrificing, dying to self. This is Epaphroditus. Paul goes on. Paul loves this selfless servant. And here's what he says about him. If this man... Loses his life. I'm glad he didn't. God has rescued and God has delivered him. But if this man were to die, I would have sorrow upon sorrow. Did you hear that? Those who are true servants of Christ, who have the mind of Christ, who give their lives, to lose them is great loss and tremendous sorrow. I have done more funerals that I could have ever imagined. And some are sweet, and some are precious, and and some are strange. Because the person living an entire life are known because they were good bowlers. (laughs) I'm not opposed to bowling. Don't like putting on someone else's shoes, but I'm not opposed to bowling at all. But is that your life? And what kind of loss is that? Paul says, this man who had the mind of Christ, who sacrificed his life, if he goes, I would have sorrow upon sorrow. Not only that, when this man arrives, when he shows up, there is rejoicing. People are happy to see this servant. Right When he enters a room, people feel encouraged and comforted. And like this is a person who has the mind of Christ. No fanfare. He just shows up. And Paul says, Hold these people in high honor, respect them. Don't don't lift and trumpet the self conceited, the self promoting, those who look to have titles and are power hungry. Look to those who have the mind of Christ. Do you understand, beloved? that Jesus Christ turned this whole idea of the greatest on its head when he says, the greatest in my kingdom will be the servant of all. This is the mind of Christ. So, what are the takeaways this morning? And, And here they are quickly. Number one, in light of what we've just read and what we know, this mind of Christ, we should have a profound love for our Savior. The one who left his throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt is our God. And he left and humbled himself. He served his entire life, went to Calvary's cross for your sins and mine, and gave his lifeblood for you and for me. We should have a profound love for our Savior, this God who humbled himself. Number two, we should examine our own hearts and lives. This morning, if you hear the message, or have heard the message, and you say, okay, that's not me. That's just not me then I would say to you, repent. Repent. How is it that we are okay with ignoring Christ's commands and not imitating his character? Believer, it's not for the pastor or the elder or the deacon. He says to the church, have the mind of Christ. And if that's not us this morning, as we've gone through these examples, then we must repent. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. That's not me. And so, if it's not me, repent. And now is the time to start. I think sometimes we think of Paul and and Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we say, well, they just had, no. They didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I've got the mind of Christ. It was a daily task of dying to self. Small, daily decisions to die to self. Believer, you start that today. To have the mind of Christ means I'm not running to get the biggest piece of pie. It's pie. I am not going... to to do what I want to do today. If my kid wants to play catch and I'm tired, I'm going to play catch with my kid. If there's a need in my family and I can help, I will do it. If the dishes are dirty and she's exhausted, I will do them. If mom and dad are struggling, I will help in the yard. If my brother or believer needs help and I can do something, I won't just say, well, I'm thinking about you, but I will actually put feet to that and I will die to self. We must examine our own hearts and lives and then and, and know this in our examination. What are we known for? Brother and sister this morning, are we known for people who pour out our lives for the faith and well-being of others? Do we care naturally for their state? Are we sick when others are worrying for us because we're worried for them? Is our absence in the midst of something great loss? Or are people happy that we're not there? Is your presence great joy when you show up? Do you really want to be the guy who's who's just consumed with himself, the aesthetics that everything is about you and what you look like and how you're perceived? Do you really want to be the woman who's known for her grumbling and complaining and nothing is ever right, who's always thinking about herself? Do we really want to be known as the me monster who is selfish, me, me, me? That's not the mind of Christ. So, love him in a profound way. Examine our own hearts. And then finally, understand this. Eternity is coming. Eternity is coming. The whole idea of an exalted Christ, that he humbled himself, and yet he was exalted and given a name which is above every name, means that at the name of Jesus Christ, men and women will be judged. I think the most tragic portion of the Bible is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, where John, in a vision of the future, says, I saw the, the dead, small and great, and they stood before a great white throne, and the books were opened. And if your name was not found, written in the Lamb's book of life, you were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. My friend, That's a horrifying, terrifying thought. and We have loved ones and friends and neighbors who are not found in the book of life. That's terrifying. There's a judgment that's coming. But believer, as much as we glory in that we are not part of that judgment, You and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for how we have lived our lives. And for some of us, there should be a fear of knowing I will stand before him and bring him nothing because I've lived my entire life and existence for myself. For my comfort, for my joy, for my pleasure, for my family, for my job, for my career for my dreams, for my hopes, for my plans. And nothing is done in light of eternity. Eternity is coming. and For some of us, we'll have nothing to show because we never cultivated the mind of Christ that said, I am willing to sacrifice like my Lord for the good of others. Count Zinzendorf said, um, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Because <laughs> we're going to be forgotten. And the only thing that lasts is what's done for Christ. And so, my brother and sister this morning, don't just preach the gospel, live the gospel. We live it by letting the mind of Christ live through us. We die daily and, and, and moment by moment to self so that the gospel and good news can be proclaimed in our lips and our lives, that we are serving our Savior, dying to self. We preach it, we will die, and we will be forgotten. But his glory will not, and that's what we live for. And so, brother and sister this morning, may we have the mind of Christ. And we can, by God's supernatural help and resources, and by the examples of people he's placed in our lives to watch and to see how they have done just that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and your truth. Father, forgive us. I Forgive me. I think of the mind of Christ. I think of my own passion for self. And Lord, it's sick. It's prideful. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us as a people. Help, me un- help us understand the magnitude of what is commanded of us, the impossibility in our own strength, and the need of grace to do just this. And Lord, again, it's not so that we can say we're examples, but that the peace of God can rest on those who come behind us so they can know how to face this life and how to live like Christ would have them to live. So Father, take this offering of your word and this message and use it for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we'll have Nico come and close with his mercy is more. We thank God for his mercy this morning. Thank you, brother.